Well, seriously, I can't tell how much it's an honor and a privilege to, to be here before you this morning, especially in the same pul pulpit as Carl Blackman. <laughs> and if you would turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll look at verses 1 through 7. We'll look at the qualifications as they're often called in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, but Perhaps characteristics are even better. Oftentimes we look at these as like a checklist, like you're taking a class or a test to get a certificate, and you're in, and that's it. But no, these are characteristics of who we are to be as pastors, and really it summarizes very much so what any man who wants to live a godly life in Christ wants to strive to be as well. But in verses 1 through 7 in 1 Timothy 3, please hear the word of God. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position or the office of a bishop or overseer or pastor or elder, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, a husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fail into some condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil." is on a Sunday morning, I feel compelled to say this is the word of God, and may God by his spirit teach us and guide us according to his will. But this is a devotion, and so maybe you don't say those sorts of things. The wonderful thing about a devotion is that there's not time to convince you of my points. You just have to assume they're true, because all I have time is to state them. So keep that in mind as, as we walk through this. But I was asked to have a devotion on the pastor and his family. The pastor and his family. And I think that's an apt title for us to study, in part because a pastor generally, generally has two families for which he's called to care for and to love. He's called to be the loving head of his home, shepherding his own physical family, and the pastor's called to be a loving under-shepherd of Christ as a fellow sheep shepherding his spiritual family. And like all Christians, he's called to wrap up his life and his family up into the life of the church family as well. And so it might not be a surprise that how a man leads and loves his family is central to both his qualifications as a pastor and his ministry as a pastor. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, at least three of the 16, and I count 16, qualifications or, or characteristics are directly related to the family and the home. And I think most of the rest of them are at least indirectly related because you see them acted out in the family and in the home. And so the pastor and his family is an apt title for study, and it should be an encouragement for us. And assuming many of us here are pastors, it should be an encouragement for us as well. And so this morning I will like to briefly, they say there's a time limit, briefly focus on the three qualifications or characteristics of a pastor that are directly related to the family of a pastor. He's to be a husband of one wife, 
He's to rule his house well with children in submission, in all reverence. He's to be hospitable. I think those three are directly related to the family of a pastor. And I hope to show that these family qualities are important and necessary for the pastor. And it's also the training ground in the home to learn how to have relationships that are merciful and gracious and effective in the church as well. And in the end, I'd like to see how Christ is both the pastor's example and encouragement. And maybe you could add to that, as I think Brother Rick did yesterday, that the one who calls us is sufficient for the call. So he's not just the example and encouragement. He's the source of all we do as leaders of our church family, but leaders of our family family as well. So if you look at verse 1, I said we'd, we'd look, first of all, at the, the three specific qualifications, but I think it helps to kind of drill down from verse 1, and maybe you'll see why. It helps to see how Paul starts in verse 1. He says, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. I think a point from that is that a man must be called to the office in the labor of a pastor. And this calling is characterized by a spirit-given desire. He uses the word desire twice there. And I think the point is this desire is not merely an ambition. That's really something I'd like to do. But this desire is a yearning that starts inward and it stretches outward to actually reach towards that work and that position that comes from the calling and the gracing and the gifting by the Holy Spirit. When he says he desires a position, that's, that word is talking about a stretching forth from a yearning and emphasizing the outward aspect of it. When he says he desires a good work, that's also yearning, but it emphasizes the inward aspect of it. And I think if you put those together, we see the Spirit's call of a man to be a pastor results in an inward desire, perhaps even an insatiable desire for the work, and then an outward stretching out for the work. And you see that before someone is a pastor, he desires to study for it. He looks for opportunities in the church. He's a churchman, and he looks for opportunities in the church to serve ahead of time. And it should continue as he becomes a pastor as well. And why do I say that? Because we're talking about the family and marriage with the pastor. Well, I think this inward call of an unquenchable desire is good and necessary. Because when things get difficult in the pastorate, and they will, when the labor gets hard, and it does, might even be times where the sheep that one loves and serves malign you or forsake you and maybe you can't sleep at night or you don't want to get up in the morning as a result when those things happen understanding this calling gives assurance and it keeps the pastor from abandoning the work and its responsibility in those difficult times this is what i'm called to do like the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep the faithful under shepherd still desires to lay down his life for his fellow sheep even when things aren't quite what he'd hoped they might be at the time. I think this is similar to the man at home. God gives men an inward desire for a wife and family, and that results in an outward desire stretching out for it. And this calling assures the man and keeps the man from abandoning his love and responsibility on the occasional time, just occasional, when maybe things aren't going quite like he thought it might go in the home. And he might be a little bit troubled from time to time. It keeps him... Uh, anchored into his calling and his responsibility in loving his wife and his family. And so I think a man who is a pastor needs to know this double calling 
I'm not trying to be theologically sound here. I made that term up, this double calling with quote marks, because a pastor uniquely has two families that he leads, two families that he loves and he cares for. And again, he stays awake at night in concern and prays for. One family is enough, in the sense of, don't get me wrong, honey, one family is enough. In the sense of how it can be a burden because things don't always go as you plan. But he's a husband and a father 24 hours a day and seven days a week. And he likes it. He rejoices in being called father and husband. But he's also a pastor 24 hours a day and seven days a week. It's not like any other job. And he rejoices in being called pastor as well. But it can be a heavy burden at times. And so it's good to be moored in the double calling that one has as he leads both his family and his church family. So that takes us to verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless. I think the word blameless then is an umbrella term that we have seven terms here of positive characteristics. This is what the pastor should be. It's not even so much what he should be doing, but it's what he should be, which is why these are characteristics as well. And blameless, I think, is the umbrella which the next six give us ideas about what that blamelessness should look like. So a bishop then must be blameless. What's it look like? He's the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. And this blamelessness is important. It means he has an outward observable conduct. His Christian life is seen. It kind of bookends with the last and 16th characteristic that he has a good testimony of those who are outside. And if you don't have this blamelessness, this Teflon, I think there was one president that was a Teflon president. Whatever they threw at him, it just didn't stick. I'm old enough to remember that. This blamelessness is, is like that, and it's important because the integrity of the gospel and the church is at stake. If a pastor is not blameless in these areas, then it brings reproach upon Christ and his gospel and his church. I think it's significant then, as we finally get to the pastor and his family, if you will, it's significant then that the very first characteristic that comes after this blamelessness umbrella is that he's the husband of one wife. He's the husband of one wife. And since we don't have time to go into all the arguments what that means, I'll just tell you what it means. It means he has faithfulness in the area areas of marital and, and the, the area of the sexual and, and, and marital realms in his life. He's has faithfulness in the marital and sexual realms in his life. And so whether he's married or not, his life is patterned with a sexual purity and thought word and deed, which becomes increasingly difficult in our internet age and all of the things that are available in coming after a man. But if, he's, if he is married, yes, he is true and faithful to his wife in sexual purity, but he's also true to his wife in faithfulness in loving his wife as Christ loves the church. And... Every man should be thinking about Ephesians chapter 5, and maybe every woman in the, the, the sanctuary as well. As a sacrificial head, he lovingly lays down his life for his wife as a provider and a protector for her, as a purifier, sanctifying her by the word, Ephesians chapter 5. And the result of this nourishing and cherishing of his wife in his Christ-like leadership is a wife who respects him, and submits to him and thrives under his leadership and reflects his character and then loves Christ and lives out Christ's gospel all the more in her life. 
Do you see the importance of this for a pastor? This is supposed to be true for all men who are married, but for a pastor in particular, the Christ-likeness of his wife likely indicates the impact of that man's Christ-like leadership and love upon the one God has given and called him to be the head and to spiritually lead in the home. And thus, it's an indicator of the impact of that man's leadership and ability to nourish and build up his church as a pastor and to apply the gospel to personal relationships in the church. There's a theme here that the home is where one learns to rightly have relationships, personal relationships that then teach you how to have those relationships in the church as well, I believe. So a man's faithfulness to and his relationship with his wife is a valid indicator to whether a man is qualified to be a pastor. And prioritizing and growing that relationship is necessary for the pastor to learn to apply the gospel and Christ-likeness in the relationships in the church as well. And I dare say that it's so important today because the church and the world have so few examples of godly marriages and godly families. And in a society that's in rebellion against God's created order of male and female and the roles of male and female in the marriage, it's perhaps then even more incumbent upon pastors to prioritize and care for their wives and their families according to the biblical roles and principles that we see in Scripture. We must not forget that the Christian marriage is a picture of the gospel of Christ in the church, Ephesians chapter 5, and it's to be an encouragement to our flocks and a witness to our children and to outsiders as well, which is really what the last qualification of this list speaks of. Now, it's true that hospitality is in this group of positive characteristics, but I want to skip that and come to the, to the end instead. Then after these positive characteristics in verse 2, you have some negative characteristics, five of them according to my count in verse 3, and then you get to verses 4 and 5, which now we have the characteristic of the pastor and his family, which is supposed to be the topic of, of this devotion which we read in verses 4 and 5, the pastor is to be one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? It's interesting. That seems to be the longest qualification. It's the one that has the explanation on it. Maybe that means it's a little bit important. And so there's two things. With this, this would be the second of the three ones, three qualifications I really wanted to focus on. He rules his own house well. It means he manages his household well. Don't be put off by the word rule. That's not as harsh as you think it is. And his children are submission in submission with all reverence. And to rule can be in the sense of supervise or in the sense of nurture. But I think, why don't we put it both together? He means he supervises and nurtures his home he governs and he cares for his home. It's a well-governed family. There's a pattern of well-ordered biblical, uh, of a well-ordered biblical household. His wife is in glad submission to his biblical leadership and authority, and the children are in glad submission with all reverence and dignity. And when he says the children are submission with all reverence, I think, and since it's a devotion, I don't have to convince you. I think the reverence is actually speaking about the father, not the children. That it means the children are all submission in a sense, because of the reverence and the dignity of the Father and how he rules and how he cares and nurtures his household, they submit because of the way that his leadership is manifested. They obey not because of threat, not because he's big and muscular, and thank goodness for that in my household, 
but because he's a loving, biblical, and dignified father who leads in such a way. William Hendrickson said, This must be done in a manner that the father's firmness makes it advisable for a child to obey, that his wisdom makes it natural for a child to obey, and that his love makes it a pleasure for a child to obey. That's certainly the ideal. Refer back to the beginning. It doesn't always go as planned, but that's the ideal. And why is this important? Well, Paul gives us the answer, so I don't have to answer that question. But I will. How, how can you care for the household of God if you cannot care for that your own household, is what Paul is saying. If you cannot take care of the smaller household, but the, more, the higher priority household, if you're not caring for your wife and your children, you should not be a pastor. But how can you take care of the smaller household and then expect to take care of the larger households of the church of God? And if you don't like the way a pastor treats his children, you will not like the way he treats his sheep in the church. I think that holds as well for the wife. If you don't like the way that he lovingly cares for his wife, you're likely not going to appreciate the way he lovingly or not so lovingly cares for his own sheep in the church. So there's questions to ask. Does he affectionately, I do mean affectionately, encourage his children? Does he express his authority and his discipline in the home with mercy and with grace, but also with firmness? Does he express a sincere love and devotion to Christ that, that is obvious, that those in the home can see and would want to mimic? There's no hypocrisy. Is he more excited to be in worship on Sunday morning than watching the Chiefs on a Sunday afternoon? And you can't do both. I'm sorry, I just had to say that. Maybe it's the Panthers. Is that what I'm supposed to say around here? Uh, does he have a sincere devotion to Christ and in the word and prayer does he have a sincere love for the church is he a church man does he have a sincere desire for the things of God that his family members can see does he apply the word warmly and personally and patiently that was mentioned yesterday patience is a virtue and effectively in the home does he apply the word warmly around the dinner table probably the most important area of the whole home in his family worship? Is he slow to anger? Is he quick to forgive? Is he quick to confess his sin? You're not a good parent if you haven't frequently said, I'm sorry, son. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done it this way. I'm sorry, wife. It was, it was wrong for me to react in this way. But that bodes well for a man who wants to be a pastor as well. If this is the way he lovingly rules his children, he will likely lovingly serve the church of God well. The way a man loves and leads in the home is largely an indicator of how he will love and lead in the church. It's interesting, other vocations really don't care how your marriage is going or how how well you treat your children. They just want you to be productive, show up on time and and make as many things as you're hired to to do in, in the amount of time you have. That's not so with a pastor. What we are in our homes is largely who we are. And what we will be in the church as a pastor. And the primary relationships in the home are indicators for the church, how a man will lead and relate in the church. It also means that in the home there's the training ground. As one is learning with those who are the closest to them. The example is always, you can be arguing with your wife. You would, I would never do that. You could be arguing with your wife or your children. And then the phone rings and you pick it up and say, hello. This is Martin. 
but in the home you are who you are and it's seen, but it also means that's the training ground so you can learn patience and grace and mercy and all of the things we just mentioned that then can transfer into the church as well and the relationships there. If the aroma of Christ and the influence of the word is not evident in a man's home, they will likely not be so evident in his ministry in the church either. And so a man's ability to supervise and nurture one's home is a valid indicator to whether a man is qualified to be a pastor. And then prioritizing and growing a loving, nurturing, and caring and governing home is necessary for the pastor to learn to apply the gospel in Christ's likeness and taking care of the flock of God as well. Now, if we were actually going in order, we'd see the experience of the elder and the reputation of the elder in the last two verses. But I want you to go back to, to verse 2, I believe it was, with the, the attitude, the characteristic of hospitality. We've seen the husband of one wife ruling his home well, but then thirdly and lastly, we see hospitality. Maybe that seems like an odd qualification for a pastor that he's to be hospitable. And I just noticed that tomorrow the, the topic, I think, is hospitality. So now I'm, in, I'm treading on some, some thin ice. I better make this quick. But a pastor should be quick to open up his home because an open, an open home indicates an open heart. A pastor should be quick to help and to be selfless and to give without thought for repayment and to show transparency and say, here's my example, and that's what hospitality does. And how it fits into what we're talking about this morning is when we have hospitality and we open up our home to the sheep and we are fellow sheep, keep saying it over and over again, we say, this is my home. This is how I live. This is what I'm really like. That might be scary. This is how my marriage really is. This is how my family really is. This is how I am a husband of one wife and how I manage my household. See my example? A pastor should be quick to have hospitality as an example, yes, for housing, traveling pastors or missionaries or Christians, yes, for using his home for evangelism for his neighbors, having them come over and having them in their, in their home, but especially for the sheep. The sheep need to spend time with the shepherd, and the church family needs to spend time together, and hospitality is one of the best ways to do that, and a pastor should be an example. One of my favorite sections of Scripture that speaks about the qualifications, the characteristics of a pastor is in 1 Peter chapter 5. And in that, Peter says, the elders among you, the pastors among you, which means we are to be among the sheep. Shepherds are to smell like sheep, which is easy because we are sheep, but we are to be among the sheep. But I think hospitality reminds us that the sheep should smell like the shepherd as well. At least they should be familiar with and comfortable in the shepherd's living room, around his kitchen table, maybe even in the backyard. And so it's important because hospitality helps us to exercise, or to show, I should say, the most visible ways of care and love for the flock and building relationships. But hospitality is important because it's a way to show forth a biblical, Christ-centered, gospel-influenced marriage, family, and home as the, as the pastor heads his home loves his wife as a husband of one wife, rules the house well with submissive children, and invites the brethren in as an example to share in the aroma of Christ in his home, and maybe even participate in family worship with him along the way. Well, I would say that I can see when my time is up, but I don't actually see a clock. Uh, 
so I can go as long as I'd like. But I'd like to close with Christ, if Christ is indeed our example and our encouragement, and if he is indeed sufficient for the calling that he's brought us into, and I think he is. It always is helpful to take our minds off our own failings and to see Christ. And we spoke of our desire, that a pastor is to have a, a God-given desire. So we think of the desire of Christ, our great shepherd, our good shepherd, our chief shepherd, who desired to come in obedience to do the will of his Father, Hebrews chapter 10, with an inward desire that certainly stretched outward. And then we read in Hebrews 12, that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And our desires then are for him, and to find our right desires in him. We're called to be blameless, but then we think of the blameless one, the spotless Lamb of God, whom no one could find any charge against him that would stick, because he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And we are counted blameless in Him before the Father. Can you understand that? We are counted blameless in Him before the Father as He promises to sanctify us in the Son by the Spirit. We think about the call that be the husband of one wife. Well, Christ is the faithful bridegroom who is faithful to His bride, the church. And we read in Ephesians 5, starting verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Do you ever get tired of hearing that or reading that? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Oh, may it be soon. But that he should be holy, the church should be holy without blemish. And so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, and be nourishing and cherishing them just as Christ does the church. And so we're encouraged by Christ's love and his cleansing, his promise to glorify us and to present us as holy without, blame, without blemish. Even blamelessness is promised in the end in that way and to nourish and to cherish us. And so we take his grace and his example to be sufficient for us, to be means that we as pastors have the privilege to be a means through which Christ would work this cleansing of the church family to work in his bride, we also trust him to use us to work in our own brides, in the home, in our families, in the home. We rule our houses well. Well, Christ is the head of the church. He orders the house well. He rules it well by his word and spirit and providing order for his church with officers and instructions of the word of God. And we have to keep reminding ourselves this is all we need. And we're content in that. And then lastly, with hospitality. We're to be opening up our homes to the sheep. Christ, in his hospitality, he took on flesh to tabernacle. I can't say that. He took on flesh to tabernacle among us. He brought home to us, if you will. And he makes his home in us. And he prepares a home for us. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If that were not so, I would, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And Christ has provided us the means to be adopted as sons and daughters into God's family. 
we're able to cry out, Abba, Father, to the God of the universe as our Father. And we long for the day when we will see Christ as he is and we are made like him. And we begin that eternal, that eternal wedding feast of the bridegroom. And that is hospitality indeed and forever. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the privilege that many of us in this room have to be called not just as husbands and fathers, but to be called as pastors. And we confess, left to ourselves, we are not up to the task of either one. So we pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace and the direction and the Christ-likeness and humility and the empowerment by the Spirit, Lord, to be to be doing well and leading in our respective families, Lord. And you would bless us, Lord, with, with families that, that would know the aroma of Christ in the middle of them, in the church, in our homes as well. And Lord, we beg of you that you would be pleased to work in us in such a way, Lord, that it would be a means to see salvation come to our homes, both our church family and our physical families. And we could rejoice in that more than anything else. Please use us and make us according to your will and according to our calling. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.